few years ago, Cynthia and I took a road trip across Canada, piling our cameras and laptops and everything we would need for three months of vagabonding into the Jeep. It was the end of August when we left the West Coast, heading 11,000 kilometers the long way toward Newfoundland and Labrador on the Far East Coast. And though tourist season was winding down in many of the places we passed through, it wasn't infrequently that we would pass tourists with their cameras and tripods set up on the side of the road. Nor was it unusual for one of us, usually me, to yell out the window as we drove by, You're doing it wrong! Sometimes we just said it to each other and laugh, and it is very possible that we're the only people that found this funny, but why it struck my funny bone at all is that the photography world of which I am a part, though I'm sure this happens in other creative circles as well, it seems obsessed with whether we're doing things right or wrong. Several years ago in Hokkaido, Cynthia was the one photographing on the side of the road, and for this to make any sense at all, you need to know Cynthia doesn't make many literal photographs. They're usually very abstract, very sensual and impressionistic. And the means for creating these images involves a lot of hand and arm movements, something close to a dance with the camera while the shutter is open. Sometimes that dance is more like a jig. It's rapid and kind of all over the place. So it's really something to see, though it is usually much more interesting to watch the faces of the people walking or driving past, eyes wide open, bewildered, and with an expression that says unmistakably, she's doing it wrong. So that's where this came from, this absurd inside joke between the two of us that has since spread to many of my students. All of us aware that unless you know what someone is trying to accomplish, you've got nothing to contribute to a conversation about the right or the wrong way to do things. And yet, still it persists, as it has for what I'm guessing is millennia. I think about the second guy to paint a rhinoceros on the wall of his cave in France, already being ridiculed by the first guy for using a different technique or trying to paint a mammoth instead. You're doing it wrong, echoing off the rocks. And I think about the Impressionists and the reactions of the more traditional painters and art critics at the Paris Salon, the whispers all saying, Vous le faites incorrectement. You are doing it wrong. And I think about you at some point taking some risk or trying something new and hearing these same absurd words. And I wonder how it might affect your creative life. Man, I thought perhaps we might talk about it. I'm David Dushman. And this is episode 70 of A Beautiful Anarchy. Welcome here. You don't have to live very long in this world to feel the sting of ridicule from those who lack imagination and fear or misunderstand what is different. What child hasn't tried something for the first time and felt their cheeks go red while others laughed at their efforts? and so learned that it's better to blend in than to stand out, better to stick to the familiar than try something different. It would be nice if this were short-lived, just a phase that we outgrow, replacing that unrestrained suspicion of what is different with a more nuanced way of seeing the world, and growing a thicker skin to the words of those who lack the vision or the grace to see a little further than what they find comfortable and familiar. It would be nice, but I think these impulses have roots that go down really deep and stretch long into our past as a species, when our very survival depended on doing what was proven and avoiding rejection from the tribe. 
I suspect this is why, as a species, we can be so quick to ridicule and shame. It's an impulse to bring others in the tribe back into conformity and safety. And it's why we respond in such a primal fight-or-flight kind of way to the same. These are survival mechanisms, which is all well and good when survival is actually what is at stake. But no four-year-old has ever died from painting a purple horse. Though I bet the pointing and laughing has killed the creativity and imagination of more than a few people that might otherwise have used those same instincts had they not withered from the ridicule to innovate and create and diverge from convention. There's irony aplenty in this if the impulse to survive as a species is what drives the behavior to discourage the kind of innovation that we need if we're going to survive the newer challenges that threaten our species. And if that same scorn for what is new and unfamiliar is what might otherwise have led to the kind of art that might have opened our eyes and hearts to the value and beauty of divergence, dissent, and the exploration of the kind of ideas that exist just beyond our blind spots. There's another irony, too. On some level, isn't the sound of our critics saying, you're doing it wrong, isn't that precisely the sound that assures us we might just be on the right track? If doing it right, and here it would help if you could see me making air quotes and rolling my eyes, if doing it right means doing what has been done and proven If we only know that it's right because it fits the existing template, then why bother to begin with? It's already been done. And if you're doing it wrong is just code for you're not doing it the way I would do it, the way it's been done by others, or the way that is accepted and acceptable, then is that not a sign that we are on exactly the right track? If not in the specifics, then at least in the willingness to risk and explore and find our own way of doing things. Let's keep in mind here that this is a podcast about creativity. I'm not suggesting that there aren't truly right and wrong ways of doing some things. Clearly, there are arenas in life where doing it right is important and doing it wrong has repercussions. Heart surgery comes to mind, and I'm hoping the next plane that I get on is piloted by someone with a less speculative approach to flying than the one I'm suggesting has such value in the creative arts. There are some contexts in which innovation is less immediately valuable than, for example, not dying. But even in these fields, surely there is a place for learning, the changing of ideas, and progress. If there weren't, we'd still be launching our planes off the bluff at Kitty Hawk, and we would never have transplanted a human heart. And so I wonder, with all the baggage that ideas like right and wrong come with, not the least of which are guilt and shame, neither of which tend to lead to a blossoming of the human spirit or the courage that creativity needs to flourish. What if we stopped asking the question, what if, am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? We're flushed from our systems and replaced with something a little less weighed down by ethical or moral baggage, and we were a little more concerned with a better question. Specifically, does it work? The Persian poet Rumi said, Out beyond ideas of right or wrong is a field. I'll meet you there. That field is a place beyond the rigidity of the calcified thinking, so perfectly expressed by the words, We've always done it this way. 
It is a place of possibility and creativity, a place of innovation and purple horses. It's a place where we match our methods, not to what has been done, but to what has been dreamed. It's a place where the imagination soars and finds the courage to take risks because it is free from shame and ridicule. And I think it's a place where we learn more effectively. When we try one thing or another and it simply doesn't work, we are free to discard it. And we're not pressured into making it fit because our belief that it is or should be right obliges us to. Nor does a better possible idea get overlooked or prematurely discarded just because it's wrong. There's a scene in the 1987 John Candy and Steve Martin movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, in which John Candy accidentally gets into the wrong lane while driving onto a divided highway. Another vehicle, driving parallel to them in the lane they should be in, honks their horn desperately to get their attention, yelling, You're going the wrong way! Steve Martin turns to Candy and says, They, they say we're going the wrong way. To which Candy replies, Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Of course, it's not the perfect analogy, and it's true. Candy and Martin barely make it out alive. But still, wouldn't it feel good to more often reply to all the voices that presume to weigh in on what you do and how you do it, even, by the way, if those voices are coming from the inside? And wouldn't it be great to say to them, how do you know where I'm going or what I'm trying to accomplish? Hell, half the time, I don't even know where my own work is heading. Which brings to mind the conversation in Alice in Wonderland, in which Alice asked the Cheshire Cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? To which the cat replies, That depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, I don't much care where. And the cat sagely answers her, Then it doesn't much matter which way you go. The creative life is surrounded by enough wonder and mystery It happens within so much uncertainty, and it's almost always so disinterested in what has already been done that it just might be that we need to spend more time out in that field beyond right and wrong, a field more concerned with what might be, with asking, does it work, and having the courage to answer that question for ourselves. That's the field in which I want to spend my time, and though I don't always know where it is or how to get there, I'll meet you there. Thank you so much for being here and for letting me be part of your creative life and for being such a loved and needed part of my own. If this podcast makes a difference to you, I would be so grateful if you would share it with others. And if this podcast is new to you, you'll find that it takes a short break every four weeks when instead I send out a new issue of On The Make, which is like a written episode of this podcast sent to your inbox every fourth Sunday morning. If you're not already getting it, but you'd like to, just go to startuglybook.com, scroll to the bottom, and let me know where to send it. Once a month, I'll draw the name of one listener to whom I'll send a signed copy of A Beautiful Anarchy, the book that started all of this, as a thanks for listening. Our times together each week are a little too one-sided to be, you know, a real conversation, but if you ever want to change that, you can get me anytime at talkback at abeautifulanarchy.com. Thank you for being here. We'll talk soon. In the meantime, go make something beautiful.